gone, Rosario? I think it is. Okay. All right, Genesis 1. Let's put this back a little bit further here. And hopefully everyone can see that. All right, Genesis 1, I believe we left off in verse 6, so we'll pick up in verse 7, and I'm going to read down to verse 19, um, not promising to make it that far, but we will see. Genesis 1, 7 through 19, do we have a couple readers, two or three, that would like to read today? We have one here, we have one further, okay, Esther. So let's have uh, Jeremiah, why don't you read verse 7? to uh, 13, and then Esther, if you'll read 14 through 19, Genesis chapter 1, go ahead, Pastor Jeremiah. All right. Brother Kagan, would you pray for us? Amen. Well, as we work through the text today, as we try to do generally in all times, we want to try to apply this and think about what this means for us. And the creation text in one way is kind of far removed from us, right? It's distant history and we know the story. But I think as we work through it, there's so many different ways that this can apply to us, impact our thinking, impact the way uh, we interact with God. So just be thinking of that as we study through it and we'll talk about application a little bit at the end. Um, as long as we don't go super late and then, anyway, yeah, we'll leave that alone. So verse 7 um, is where we're picking up, and verse 6 goes very much with it, so I'll read that and read verse 7 as well. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters that were under the firmament from the waters that were above the firmament, and it was so. Okay, so this firmament, do we remember the word that we use to help define the word firmament? Anyone remember? How would you define a firmament? What is a firmament? Okay, that's a good guess. Um, 
the atmosphere is probably um, depending, but uh, do you, anybody remember the word that we used last week? I, what's that? Air or oxygen? I think I used the word expanse. Um, and then we talked about it being the which heaven it was, right? Which heaven is the firmament? The first heaven. So uh, somebody said oxygen. That is probably, was that you? Who said oxygen? All right. That, that's uh, a piece of, of this. Um, air, etc. And the idea is just that there was water on the earth and God chose to make a space or an expanse and then there was water above that as well. And many people understand or think that the flood is when that upper level of water came down. And when we get to Genesis 6, six we can talk about that. So there's this firmament, there's this space, this first heaven area that we think of. And the, let's see here, as, it, as we go closer, it says, God made the firmament and divided the waters that were under the firmament from the waters that were above the firmament. So when it says, and it was so, let's see here, is that at the end? Yeah, and it was so. This gives this idea of it was done just as God said. And not, and not, just, uh, ju- not just in a past tense sort of way, but I-, I think there's also the implication that this is how God set it up and then it continued forward from there. And it could be that some of the things we're seeing here, especially as we go further, and certainly we saw it earlier, is that God is setting up what we call laws, right? He's setting up how nature operates with light, with space, with time, with these different elements. And so when he creates this um, expanse, this firmament, this air, this section above the earth, you know, other, the atmosphere was discussed, right? And the reason the atmosphere is a little bit questionable is we don't know exactly how this upper level of water worked and what was beyond it, what was below it. But presently, presently, we do have an atmosphere that kind of holds warmth and energy and things within the earth. If you go to other planets, they don't have that same type of atmosphere. And so temperatures are very different and the way things work and operate on the planet are very different. So the point with all this talk about this is that God knew that humans needed space above ground to exist, right? And physically we would need oxygen and we would need space. And so uh, later, Later, we're going to read about the, uh, the Tower of Babel. And with the Tower of Babel, man, remember, man tried to build up and above and reach God, right? But even if you just think about the basics of his creation, the only reason they had a space to build upward and off the earth was because God created that possibility, <laughs> you know? And it shows how ridiculously limited we are based upon God and his choices, um, but for right here, we see that the space is created, the waters were separated, and the space between is the space where man would live. Um, certainly, we don't understand that in that time period that they went up into the upper water level or went beyond that or anything. Even if you just think of our space travel today, right? Would that have been possible if that upper level of water hadn't been removed? I mean, probably not. Um, and so, you know, we are at God's mercy. We got to remember that. Humanity is always at God's mercy. We tend to think that we're so educated and we've advanced so far and all that. But even just studying this passage helps us see how God is the one who has set up so many things 
And with just the word of his mouth, he could change them in an instant if he so chose. Okay, verse 8 then says, And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. <coughs> Excuse me. This name that he gives it for the firmament, God gave it the name heaven. And we talked about it as the first heaven. Um, first meaning first in relation to humanity. But it does say that God called it heaven. And the first calling that we have in the text is about day and night. But the next thing that God names is this area above the earth, heaven. And he gives it this name. And then in the next verse, um, oh, I'm sorry, this is what finishes the second day. The evening and the morning were the second day. It appears that the way this worked is that God would do his creating work. He would look at it. Usually he would say that it was good and that he would maybe name it. Maybe he named it before and then he called it good and then it was the end of the day. It's like he's reviewing his work. He's labeling his work and he's giving his idea of it. It is interesting, is it not, that at the end of this day he doesn't say that it was good. Why that is, I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's because he knew he was going to kind of change things later and remove that. I don't know if... I don't know. Maybe he did say it and God chose not to record it. I don't know, but it, it never says that he saw that it was good on this day. Um, so, because this is the end of the second day, verse 8, all right? Um, any question or comment on these first couple verses? Tim will run. Is there anyone? Okay, let's go on to verse 9 then. Verse 9 is where we... Um, Begin day three, and it says, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together to one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. All right, now, this is a very interesting, the way things are phrased here is very interesting, because here it's very obvious that God is not creating new things. Right? God is not creating water for the first time. He's not creating soil for the first time. These things have existed because he's already created them. But now he starts arranging them. And it specifically says of the waters, let them be gathered together. Let them be gathered together. There's a couple different ways we could understand this. One is that there was only one major body of water on the whole earth at that time. Where you had one land mass and one body of water. Um, that's possible. Another is that it's actually referring, when it says, let the waters be gathered together, that God was actually setting up the pathways of how water moves around, such as you think of flowing rivers into ocean, as you think of evaporation, rainfall. Now, we do know that there was not rainfall before the flood, right? But there was a dew process and so it could have been that God is setting up this process that we know of as the water exchange. And it's saying, let them be gathered. And all water eventually, you know, gathers together and then it spreads out and then it gathers together and then it spreads out. Um, you know, if you study the oceans, one of the reasons in Nepal that they have a rainy season with the Yules and Lloyd and everything is that the water during when the temperatures are right, the water evaporates off the ocean up into the clouds and then it comes over the land and then it rains there, 
but that same water is going to travel right back to where? Right back to the ocean, right? So uh, that is one way you could think of it as well. There's also another idea, and this is paired with the next phrase, so let's look at that and then talk about it. But it also says, let the dry land appear. So if you remember, the water was at the very, um, let's see here, back in verse 3, is it, uh, I'm sorry, verse 2 says, darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. So we know that all the way back in verse 2 that there was waters and, you know, God's Spirit was hovering over it. Now as we get down to where we are in verse 9, um, or verse 8, excuse you know, we're in 9, and it says, let the dry land appear. So it could be that the soil and the water were mixed together, and God says, let's put the water in one place, and then let's have the dry land appear where it comes up and out of the water. And you have the soil or the earth, as we think of it, was under the water before this, and then God brings it up above and places it there. Now, this is totally my guess. I didn't read this. Smart people probably didn't come up with this, so it might be a bad idea. But I'm wondering, and I'm questioning, is this gravity where we, for the first time, have the earth functioning with things being held in place? Because before, it seems that there's kind of more of like an amorphous feel to things, and God is now, he's placing the, the water in a place, he's placing the, the land in the place, and it appears now that they're staying there. Uh, before the Spirit of God is upon the face of the waters. That's totally a guess of mine. I don't know that, but we don't have some other place further down where we're like, oh yeah, here's gravity, right? We don't have that. So I guess if I had to pick a spot, I would say it might be here. Um, I wanted to read a parallel passage that just connects with this as well, and then we'll take any questions on verse 9. Um, Psalm 104, 5 through 9, reads like this, a reference back to creation. Who laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be removed forever. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the voice of your thunder, they hasted away. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys to the place that you have founded for them. You have set a bound that they may not pass over, that they do not return to cover the earth. So it's talking about when God laid the foundations of the earth. This is Psalm 104, 5 through 9. But notice how it says that the mountains were covered with water. It's interesting because we always think of that in reference to the what? The flood. But as I read Psalm 104, to me, it's speaking of creation. Because um, it says, laid the foundations of the earth. So again, this makes me think that this connects with verse 9, where it says, let the dry land appear. So you did have earth that was under the water, and then God brought it up. And so at this time, God is kind of, if you could call it this way, rearranging earth, the ground, and rearranging water, and putting them in their place, so to speak. Now, it's very possible that some of this was rearranged, topically speaking, at the flood, but the general principles that God set in place never changed. Um, and so that's how I read all that. And again, the Bible says it was so. 
and God set that up. So, any questions or comments on verse 9? Yes, sir. Anyone after Jeremiah? Okay. So, each day seems to end with the evening and the morning and the evening. Mm-hmm. instance where it doesn't say with day two mm-hmm. that he saw that it was good. Is it, is it possible that verse 9 and 10 were involved in day two but just were written after it? Because that would give you that God saw that it was good involved with day two, like all the other days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was pointed out in my study that it, he says it twice in verse, in the third day, basically. If you take it as written, that it's in the third day. Um, I mean, you're kind of tr- saying, should we rearrange the text a little bit, you know, to put this up above? Not not literally, but in our understanding, okay? And um, that's, I won't say it's impossible. I don't know if that's how it is or not, but it is true. You have it twice in day three and not at all in day two, so... I guess that's it. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. Yes, it is possible. Yep, not saying it's not. Anyone else? Question or comment? It's a good observation there. Um, And again, he's reading ahead a little bit because we haven't gotten to verse 10, but you can see that there. Verse 10 has the first, and then verse 12 has the second um, reference to it being good. The other, uh, let's see here. Yeah, the, the only other thing I'll say in commendation of your view that you just explained is that the content of the work does seem to line up well because you have the firmament and the waters being separated and then you have the land coming out of the waters. So it's all kind of the same genre of work, if you will. So uh, that is um, one point in your favor in that, in that way. Okay, anything else? All right, let's continue verse 10. And God called the dry land earth... And the gathering together of the, sea, uh, the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So again, we have God naming things. And remember, he's not naming them for his benefit. God's not like, oh, I don't know what to call this. I need to pick a name, right? He's naming it so that he can communicate with man about these things. And the fact that he's giving them words before man has showed up shows his preparation, doesn't it? It shows that he was planning to interact with mankind. So... He called the dry land earth, the gathering together of the waters, he called seas. And um, I do understand that that word seas is plural. And so, you know, some people see that this body of water was spread all over the earth and would have various pieces to it, but it's all connected into one overall piece of water. Um, You know, I don't know how much we could, I don't know how much we can, put this text onto this discussion, but let me just take it there anyway, since, since no one's thinking about it, we might as well take it there. You know how people sometimes worry that the waters are going to get so high it's going to kind of cover everything? That's kind of a double-edged sword because it is true that sea levels can change, right? And there's a lot of historical examples of cities and places where the seawater has risen and overtaken them. 
but the idea that that could get so bad and so out of hand that we don't have enough place to live and you know society breaks down and all that that is a little beyond the pale because even here we see that God kind of sets the boundaries for the waters and the earth and um, just the fact that he designed it a certain way uh, yes there is some give and take with that but the idea that it could just swallow us all up one day is that would have to be God's doing and with the flood, he's already promised not to do that. So even there, we can see how Bible truth kind of helps anchor us in a world of fear. Um, now, having said all that, if you buy a house right on the beach, you know, and in 10 years it's overtaken by water, don't say Pastor John said it would never happen, okay? That's not what I was talking about. So I, they, I'm told that the North Carolina coast is supposed to go up uh, 10, 12 inches in the next 10 or 20 years or something. I can't remember. Um, they say in the last 10 or 15 years it's gone up three inches already, so who knows? So there is definitely uh, some room in, in all of that. And, okay, verse 11. Now, here we see kind of a new, again, a, a different genre of work. Verse 11, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit according to his kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. All right, so now we have a new uh, area of God's working, and there's three major pieces that it references. We have grass, and the next one is given as herbs, and the next one is given as trees, okay? Specifically, fruit trees is what's listed here. Um, now, those of you that struggle with allergies are already sneezing as we got the grass, right? That's, that's the tough one. I was trying to think of what, what the breakdown was. Like, why, why does it use these three? And, you know, certainly you're going from smaller to bigger and kind of that sort of thing. Does anyone else see the, a, like, a, systemize, a systemization to these three things? That's precisely what I was thinking. With grass, the seed is too small to be seen. With herbs, the seed is visible. And with fruit trees, the seed is hidden. Now, I don't know if that's what God was going for in that breakdown, but that is one thing that I observed. Um, so he, he creates these different things that are going to what? They're going to fill the earth. Can you imagine an earth with no grass, no plants, and no trees in it? You know, you say, well, if you go to the concrete jungle of New York City... That's pretty much what you have sometimes. Kathmandu is that way, actually, too. Kathmandu didn't have trees, like, anywhere. There was no trees that I saw in Kathmandu. And um, people were talking about going up to the mountains to see green because it's so just built up and there's no... I mean, I guess there was a little grass at that one spot. Grass, there was a little bit. And yes, there's probably some tiny tree somewhere. But when we think of, like, you know, a park with trees, they didn't, they didn't have that. So... Um, where was I going with all this? We were oh, can you imagine a world that didn't have these things? You know, So God is doing what? Like He's building a world, he's putting the pieces together, and now he's filling it out. He's, he's making it uh, good to be lived in. And um, did you know, I didn't know till I studied, that there's over 5,000 types of grass on the earth? 5,000. I, I only know fescue, and that's about it. Fescue and weeds. Um, but there's a lot of different types. When it comes to herbs, and speaking of herbs, let me just be real clear. The meaning here is not like thyme and rosemary and Italian seasoning, okay? 
The word herb here means like plants or vegetables. Like if you remember the story of Daniel, he ate pulse, similar thought there. Um, don't just think like, you know, the kitchen cupboard and all the spices, okay? Um, yeah, so I'll, we'll leave that alone. But it's, the idea is plants, okay? And then trees, fruit trees, are, are much bigger. Another thing that we see here is that these things are food forms, are they not? Right? This is food for the animals. This and this are food for the humans. And you remember Adam and Eve when they were first created and in the garden they were not carnivores. They did not eat meat. There was no eating of meat until after when? No, after the fall, after the flood. After the flood. Isn't that right? Okay, I was hoping. Which is also after the fall. Thank you. All right. That's right. Our, our technician here. Um, the, but we see food. God's providing food. So there's beauty that God's filling the earth with beauty. He's providing food because he knows animals will need this. Humans will need this. And, and so there's multi-purpose to what God is doing. And also these items are all like self-perpetuating, right? Like grass produces grass. They expand, you know. Plants produce plants and there's other plants and trees uh, produce more trees and so on. And the question I had that popped into my mind is was there plant death before the fall? You talk about death entering the world. Was there plant death before the fall? I never thought about that. I was like, hmm, I don't know. I mean, I guess they always got watered because there was always dew. But so there wasn't the whole like, you know, plants dying because you didn't take care of them part maybe. But um, anyway, that, that's one of the questions for eternity, I guess. And then the, the other piece in verse 11 is just says, it says, according to his kind, according to his kind. And that just gives us the point that in nature, God set up same things to produce same things. So apple trees don't produce tomatoes, right? And, you know, um, rye grass doesn't produce acorns and etc. They're all meant to produce their own. Now sometimes if there's very close alignment, there can be crossbreeding and mixtures of things, but as long but they have to be in the same vein of thing to to merge together. Um, which that according to his kind is an important piece when it comes to evolution. Right, because evolution teaches that you had amoebas that became frogs, that became this, that became this. And it, t it teaches that in nature there are things that can start out as this and become this. Whereas when God designed creation, he said, no, like if you're a plant, you're going to make plants. And if you're a grass, you're going to produce grass. And if you're um, a fruit tree, you're going to produce fruit trees. And if you're an animal, you'll produce an animal, right? So there's separate lines of things that God is creating. And he, ne he never intended them, and nor will they ever cross. Like, you can't have a baby and have it be half a tree and half human, right? Doesn't work that way. Now, you know, this, doesn't that sound absurd? It sounds absurd to even think about it, right? But there are some things that are quite absurd that are being discussed today, right? And evolution teaches that there was, you know, like this moving from amoebas to this to this, from animals to human and that sort of thing. So, and sadly enough, there are, a few very deranged and mentally disturbed people that think they're a cat and you know think they're this and that and a wolf and whatever. And you can just tell that that's not of God's design, right? God's design is that each would be according to his kind. All right, question or comment on verse 11? 
All right, don't scratch your head or I'll call on you. All right, Rosario, if you'll run back there, who's got the mic? Is there anyone after Rosario? Well, he's heading that way. Okay, we'll go on to verse 12 when he's done then. On the That's true. If you're eating it, that, that tends to kill it, doesn't it? I think um, I've heard that plants burn a lot. I've heard plants burn a lot. Oh, okay. Okay. So the, technically the idea of plant death is a misnomer, really, because there's no life to begin with. Yeah. That's true. Seasons, yep. And it talks about seasons in just a minute. So that's a good point, uh, a clarifying point that indeed they're not a living, breathing thing like we think of with animals and humans. So, good point. Good point. Um, okay, verse 11 gives the command, and verse 12 gives the fulfillment. And there's a little bit of different wording and the order of things, but I don't think there's anything special to really say about verse 12. Oh, yeah, I did want to say with verse 12 that when God put these things into the earth, they, I understand that they were mature and fully functioning plants. So some people are like, did God plant seeds and then they grow up and all that? No, I think God placed them into the earth at, at maturity such that they could immediately begin producing seed. They could immediately begin having green and, and functioning. Um, again, it's not like 100% clear, but I do believe that that's how it, it went. And that's how I see this um, happening. And I do, I guess I would say it this way, that God... God did all this in one day. And when you think of how big the earth is, like I remember how big our garden was growing up and I thought it was far too big. It's far too much work, right? For me to go out, plant these seeds and all the work to get, to get this as the result, right? God does the whole earth in one day with all the varieties, with all the details, putting them in their perfect places. And if you talk about a good gardener, I'm sure God did a perfect job, right? I know he did because he's God. So just the astounding power of our God, right? I can't prove how it unfolded, but it says, let it be. And I don't know if it, you know, if it was in sweeps or in sections or in, by category. Like, I don't know how God did it. Did all the grass and he did all this. I don't know. But by the end of that day, the whole earth was full of green. And um, again, I'm just excited to know a God who can do this. All right, let's go to our next verse, verse 13. And the evening and the morning were the third day. This is a real difficult verse. It's hard to tell what it means. No, no, it's not. It's pretty straightforward. Again, evening is first, and we kind of discussed that in a prior week. Verse 14 then says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. All right, so we have a new genre of God's working. Um, he says, let there be lights, plural. Earlier, we read him as saying, let there be light, singular. Here we see him say, let there be lights, plural. And again, this, I think light was created as a thing or displayed and set forth as a thing if it came from him. Or, but here we have him creating individual sources of light, okay? And, uh, let me just connect this verse to the prior, and that is a fully formed plant has no problem living for 24 hours without direct sunlight. But if you go a thousand years without direct sunlight, 
those plants would struggle, right? So again, we understand these in, in 24 hour days and that's one explanation for that right there. Um, as we look at this though, notice he says there's, fir- there's lights in the firmament of the heaven. Now, here he uses the word firmament and it is a bit interesting and this doesn't perfectly fit what I've taught up to this point because I, the earlier I thought of the firmament as the space between the two water zones, right? But clearly he's saying that it's a firmament of the heaven. And so in our numbering of the heavens, this is the second heaven, which is outer space, is where these lights are placed. Um, so either he's, there's several ways to understand this, is that he's just referring to different firmaments. One was on earth and one is outer space, separate firmaments. Another is that God created the firmament of outer space when it says he did back in, what is that, day two? Um, I tend to think the concept of space was created further back, all the way back in in verse two, or one, excuse me, verse one. Um, So however that kind of shakes out, it is evident that the word firmament here is meaning the outer space, okay? Unless, unless we just consider the fact that it's not where they're placed, but where they're shining, okay? So if they're shining into the firmament, then maybe that's that idea, okay? But verse 14 says that the day would be divided from the night. And that's actually something that I want to see here is that, remember how we talked about day and night, night and day, evening and morning, and 24 hours and all that? Our measuring of a day is based on the sun. There was no sun as of yet. And God brings the sun and the sun and the moon and the stars as a marker and a divider for the day from the night. And the only thing I'm pointing out is that in our minds, we think of the sun as the arbiter of what determines a day and a night. And when God set it up, he determined a day and a night, and then he added the sun to it. So it's a little bit backwards, right, the way we we think about that. Um, And so, but he did set up the, the sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night. And it says at the very end, and the stars also. Um, so let's talk about these different categories here. He, um, he says for signs, for seasons, and for days and years. So how many times does the word for appear? It means you've got to look at the verse. F-O-R. It appears how many times? I'm hearing three and four. Okay. Um, I think I was just looking at... uh, No, I'm just looking at verse 14. Sorry. So, yes, it's three times. So we have the first one is signs. So God had a purpose in creating the sun and the moon and the lights of, of the outer space. One is for signs. The next is for seasons. And the final is for days and years. So we kind of got two things here, days and years. Now, this first category is a little difficult to me when it says signs. There's a couple different ways I could understand that. Is there anything in the Bible that teaches the sun or the moon exists for a sign? Okay, I have that down. 
one day the moon will turn to blood, and that is a sign that the day of the Lord is, is ongoing. Okay? Any other places? Okay. Right? It was a sign that God would do what he said he would do there. Um, also, in, I thought of the story of, of Joshua where the sun stood still, and it was a sign of God fighting for them, like being on their side. But also, in a gen- more generic sense, let's hold our place here and just turn with me and let's read a couple passages. Psalms, turn to the book of Psalms, and we'll read Psalm number 16. I'm not, sorry, 19. Psalm number 19. And so here in Psalm 19, the sun and the moon and the stars are meant to be simply a sign of God's glory and greatness. And we're probably familiar with this, right? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the heavens proclaim his handiwork. Day to day utters speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. Its going forth is from the end of the heaven and its circuit to the ends of it, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So again, all of this is what? Declaring the glory of God. And so God put the sun and the moon to point to himself. Interestingly enough, humanity has turned them into their own gods at times, right? Worship the sun god and the moon god. and Literally, there are some people, and it's, it's sad and it's strange and it's evil, but they will do certain things on equinox, and they talk about the balance of right and wrong and the balance of the universe, and we've got the moon here and the full moon this, and they act as though the sun and the moon have powers over them. When the sun and the moon are there, to point us to the God of those things, you know? So they're meant to be for signs. There's another way that we could understand this word signs. Instead, so, so the way I just described it is as messengers or, or miraculous uh, pointers um, in the Bible. There are miraculous events that happen with them, or in a broader sense, they point to God, the creator God. But the idea of markers is also possible, where the sun is meant to be a guide and a marker. Um, if you think of a sundial, right, helps you tell the time. If you think of those who are naval people, especially in days gone by, didn't have GPS, they would use the sun to determine their latitude and their longitude, right? And there's a lot of complex calculations, but even hundreds and thousands even of years ago, there was some calculating they could do to make sure they were on course and everything. So the idea is that God gave the sun and the moon as a marker as a sign to say, this is where you are, or this is the way, right? And this is what time it is. Um, and so that's also possible, that that's that idea behind the sign idea there. So he gave them for signs, and then it says he gave them for seasons. Now this is a little easier to wrap our minds around. How many seasons are there? Well, we got four where we live anyway. Summer, fall, winter, and spring. But the sun, especially the sun, plays a vital role in seasons, right? And the sun um, and the relation of the earth to the sun is what creates our seasons. Now, do we know what, what changes, um, what changes to, to create the seasons? Any science? Uh, anybody get 100 in the science? You didn't get 100, but we'll take 
Okay, so close. Um, it's actually the angle of the Earth, right? Because the, the Earth circles around the sun at the same distance from the sun. Like, the whole Earth doesn't get closer during the summertime and then we get further away in the winter, right? It's not how it works. What were you going to say? The tilt, that's right, it's the tilt of the earth in relation to the sun. So the earth is tilted, and when it's on this side, more of the sun gets the bottom side, and then when you go to the other side of the, earth, of the sun, the top side gets more sun, and they have the summer there. And that's why summer and, and winter are opposites by hemisphere, right? Which, if I could just take a moment, is another reason we know that the earth is a globe. There are some people that teach the earth is, earth is flat. There's so many reasons the earth is not flat. One of them is actually that I've flown all the way around it, so I know it's a circle, okay, I've been around it. But uh, the idea that, um, that the, the seasons are created in relation, to, in relation to the sun. Also then, we have, so we have the weather or the seasons, and then these final two, we have days and years, which are time markers, and the day is determined by rotation. We could use the word spin. And for seasons, we could use the word angle here. And that's what, if you think about this and you try to put them all together, this word marker here fits the genre of these other things a lot better. I don't know if you noticed that. But these are all things that we measure our lives by, days, years, the seasons. And if we're using it as a marker for location, that fits more with our regular normal living. The idea of signs in miraculous ways is a little different. But anyway. So the rotation or the spin of the earth creates a day. One day the globe spins around. The year, on the other hand, is the, um, I have the word here, orbit. Yes, it's the orbit of the earth around the sun. So um, the point is that God gave us the sun so that we could have all of these things. If you take the sun out of the, the milk, well, not the Milky Way, solar system, you take the sun out, all of this falls apart. We don't have days, we don't have years, we don't have you know, seasons, like we all just die immediately. But um, it's amazing how dependent we are on the sun, right? If you get too much sun, you're gonna die. If you get too little sun, you're gonna die, right? You have to have sun. And um, I'm speaking of the world as a whole, so. Uh, let's see here, one more thing, and that is, no, that's the end. Any questions or comments on verse 14? Okay. 14. Oh, let's, let's see if we can scoot down and finish. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light on the earth. And it was so. So he says, for lights. Lights, plural. And we don't always think of the moon as a light. But if we lived in a world without street lamps and cell phone lights and all that kind of stuff, we would be more aware that the moon actually is a source of light. And what a comfort it is most of the time. I mean, with new moon, you don't have any light from the moon. But most of the time, there's at least some light shining as long as it's not too cloudy and that sort of thing at nighttime. And for thousands of years, man didn't have modern lighting. And I think it was a very good thing that there was a moon most of the time. Um, and so God gave them for lights, both for the day and for the night. And then we see um, verse 16, and God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And notice how it kind of just says, uh, well, yeah, let's deal with that first. It just says, and he made the stars also. That sounds like an afterthought, doesn't it? 
It's as though like God spent a lot of time on the sun and a lot of time on the moon. He's like, oh, stars, forgot the star, you know, and throw out some stars. But if you study science, you'll know that, I mean, the stars are incredibly complex, and there's, you know, millions of them, and we haven't even discovered all the stars that are, and the Bible just says, and the stars also. You know, that one little phrase has so much reality to it. Again, it shows the hand of our great God, you know, just, and the stars. But for us, the sun and the moon mean much more to us than the stars, don't they? Like, they affect our life so much more than the stars do. Let me not get distracted, but some people think the stars affect their life more than the sun and the moon do. It's backwards. Notice one, notice the phrasing he gives to the lesser and the greater. All right, let me put the word sun up here and the word moon up here. Which one did he say is the greater? Greater. And which one did he say is lesser? The moon. Now, there's two different ways we could understand the words. But if he's talking about size, when you look at them, which one looks bigger? The moon looks bigger than the sun, doesn't it? When you look at it in the sky, based on size, you're like, John, I have never looked at the sun. My mom taught me not to look at the sun, so I have no idea how big it is. No, but the, the circle size of it, the moon looks bigger. So clearly, now someone was pointing out that Moses knew that the sun was bigger because God told him. But it might not be referring to the size. It might be referring to the what? The amount of light that it puts out. Greater light, lesser light, right? So I don't think it has to be referring to size. But it is interesting that, indeed, the moon is much smaller than the sun. And the moon is much smaller than the earth, in fact, Right? And there, you could fit one million Earths inside the sun, but you could fit six million moons inside the sun. Um, that tells you how big the sun is, doesn't it? So, uh, oh yeah, and then talking about the stars and everything, the sun is not the biggest star there is. So there's stars bigger than the sun, and yet he put the sun close to the earth for our benefit, and there's many, many of those. Okay, verse 17 then, it says, And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Okay, any questions on that? Let's talk application. Oh, yeah, right here. Tim's going to run. Is there anyone else with a question or a comment? Okay. I mean, this might be a little more on the application side, but sure. The sun soaks of light and permeates the world and that sort of thing. Um, how much do you think that that was kind of like pointing toward Jesus? Do you think it was? something you, you 
talked about how you know people over the course of history have named the sun in the name of the gods. Mm -hmm. Like there was a point in the sea god. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't see them, you know, explicitly as pointing to Jesus specifically, but more just to God himself, the creator God, and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, it is true that we reflect back and so on. It's kind of one of those things that I wonder if it's more the opposite, where he created them and then he simply used them to point to Jesus later. Like, obviously, Jesus was always in his mind. I mean, he's God, so he, he's the whole point. But whether that that was his specific intention you know, I don't know, if, if the Bible would say that, I would tell you that, and if it doesn't, I'll say, well, maybe, but I don't know, so, but, um, I mean, he certainly wants to use his creation to illustrate and to point us, you know, but I guess when I said pointing to God, I just kind of meant as the creator, as the almighty, but speaking of application, let me li list just a couple, and then we'll be done here. The first I want to talk about is this idea of the perfection of God. Did God create things perfectly? Yes, he did. The question I had to meditate on is, could he have done anything better? My first thought is no, but then I'm reminded he's going to make a new, her new heaven and new earth, so is that one going to be just the same as this, or is it going to be better? And if that's better, then it's better than this one, right? So I don't know, you know, something to think on. But for the time that he did it, he could not have done it better for that time because of what he had planned, right? So it was perfect in God's plan. And that's the way to think of it, I think. Perfect in God's plan. Um, instead of just perfect uh, irregardless of everything else. The next thing I want to point out is this idea of not ashamed. Um, are we ashamed of the creation that God has done? Um, Especially in the age of evolution, I think sometimes we, we sort of read through this and we're, I wouldn't say we're ashamed, but what I'm just saying is that we should never feel ashamed to talk about creation. Like, this is what our God did. And yes, they don't believe it, or they have their own explanations, whatever, but this is our God, like, he made us, like, this is what he made, and we can't let, like, false teaching just kind of win the day in the shame department. So I'm not talking about being belligerent or anything like that, but I do sometimes think that Christians kind of like shy away a little bit, like, oh, well, you know, you know, the creation account. And I don't think that we should let that be our, uh, affect our spirit in that way. And the last one is just how amazingly dependent we are on God. We are so weak and, you know, the idea that God holds all things in his hand he creates the grass, and he does this, and, he does, and it's just, as God says it, it's just done, right? And then the idea that we can think we're independent of him, or act as though we don't need him, is really in, insanity, having read and seen all this, right? So this really emphasizes my dependence on God. Even when I don't actively depend on him, I am dependent on him, right? Like, my life is in his hands, and, you know, with just a word of his mouth, I could be gone. And so, it, it, I think it helps give us some humility, right? And just to point back to, to the fact that we are dependent on God, so let's let our hearts be dependent on God because he does hold us in his hands. All right, any other thoughts on application or one of these three? Okay, well, let's be dismissed in prayer and give thanks for what we've heard today. Lord, I pray.